0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. All
1: right, good evening, guys. Thanks for coming. Um, My name's Kyle. For those of you I haven't met yet, um, I'm on staff here. And, um, yeah, we have a full evening of fun and great Um, information that I'm excited for y'all to learn about. We're going to be talking about discipleship and evangelism. And I think um, it's a lot that you can benefit from. And so, um, but with that, I thought I'd just hit on a few announcements first. um, So it doesn't feel like at the end, if we're running a little over, um, we missed some of that. But a couple of things we wanted to let you guys know about, since we rarely gather all the women together, and um, it's really cool to see everyone here. But um, God promised himself is a... Group that's going to be starting a five-week um, five five-week class coming up, starting on September 26th. And God promised Himself is for a group of, for women who are walking through um, struggles with infertility, struggles with um, miscarriages, or potentially even just struggling to find joy in pregnancy. And um, that is going to be Cheryl Schaller is going to be leading that. Um, if you're interested in that, I sent out a email this past week. If you aren't on the women's CCB group, let me know or find me afterwards. But, um, Cheryl's going to be leading that for five weeks, um, on Mondays from seven to 9 PM. So if you know anyone who would be interested in that, or if you yourself would be, it'd be a great opportunity to connect with other women and walk through that phase of life together. Um, Secondly, I wanted to point out, we've got a card on your table on corporate prayer. Um, We want to be a people at Park and women at Park who regularly practice the rhythms of prayer in their lives. And so um, we just wanted to highlight a couple of the opportunities to do that. We do that on Thursday mornings. Um, We do that on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Thursdays is at 6.30 a.m. And then we also do healing once a month with the elders. And so um, notice those cards. I think we might have ran out... A few in the back, so if I'll have a little bit of details if you didn't get one um yeah, finally, on cohorts, I wanted to mention, we're going to do a push a little bit more at the end but and talk a little bit more about what we're doing for cohorts, but we want to really encourage women to be in the Word together. Um, we see gospel communities as an opportunity for men and women to co- connect and grow in um, fellowship and service and prayer and the Word, but we also see a special value in women connecting together, which is obviously why we've, we're doing this tonight. But um, So in the back, we're going to be pushing some studies, but take a look at that. We're going to highlight them at the end, but take a look through the break and discussion time and just get an idea because with all these women, it might get a little crowded over there. So if we can spread out that time, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, I'm going to pray for us real fast and then I'm going to invite Denise to come up. Um, Denise Ellenberger will be, um, sharing with us tonight on the theology of discipleship and just really excited to hear from you, Denise. Um, Denise works at Edward Jones and, um, yeah, I think she has a special gift of working with women and, um, this is something, a topic she's really passionate about. So when we connected a little bit ago, this was something I was like, this would be really great for the women at park to hear. So, um, let me pray for us and then I'll invite Denise to come up. So. Lord Jesus, thanks for tonight. Um, Thanks for gathering this group of women for um, the fact that you work, that you um, desire to grow us, that you are living and active in us. And I just pray for all the women um, who are here tonight that, God, um, you may use the um, women who share on this stage, um, that you may use their words and the things that you've placed on their hearts to share in the lives of all the women who are listening. God, may we have open ears, open hearts, um, softened hearts to receive and be touched by your spirit. And you may just um, have your hand on the evening, help us to develop new relationships and connect with other women and um, really just experience your presence here tonight. In your son's name,
2: amen. Well, hello ladies. How many of you are familiar with comedian Dimitri Martin? Anybody? He says you can make anything sound creepy by adding "ladies" to the end of it. <laughs> How you doing tonight, ladies? Let's talk about discipleship, ladies. Well, my name is Denise. This is indeed something I am very passionate about. Let me tell you a little bit about me before we get started. I was fortunate enough to be born into a Christian home. My dad is a pastor, and my parents um, still pastor. They're still married, happily married pastor church in Iowa, a little teeny tiny non-denominational church. So I was brought up to know God, to cherish His Word, to fear God, obey Him, in a home that really started discipling me before I even knew what discipleship meant. I was also very fortunate that in the church I grew up in, there were also older women that were always there to come alongside at every stage of my life. And so discipleship wasn't something I ever went without. I didn't know what it was to not have discipleship and somebody at every stage walking with me and helping me be more like Christ. So it was also something that nobody had to tell me to do. It was just something that I started doing from a young age, even when I was a 12 and 13 year old volunteering for the children's ministry at church and helping people younger than me learn what the gospel was and who Jesus Christ was and how to love him and obey him. So, because it's something that I have always had, I firmly believe everybody else should have it as well. It's a tricky topic to talk about, though, because a lot of us have never experienced discipleship. It's actually a big need in the modern evangelical church today uh, for people to step up and come alongside one another. But it also... um, I I lost my train of thought. Oh, it's something that if you have experienced discipleship, you might have some misconceptions about, especially if you had an unhealthy discipleship relationship that wasn't really what it was supposed to be. So I wanted to talk tonight, first of all, if you open your packets on your table, you have packets that say Women's Formation Gathering, the very first page in that packet will help us just give a definition to discipleship. What is it, first and foremost? I love this form. When I was preparing to do this, my friend Jesse sent this to me. This is a a page that was created by Fellowship Denver Church, and they let us use it graciously. And I love it. I'm going to use this from now on. And right at the top, you can see there's a simple definition. It says, learning to be like Jesus and do what Jesus did. I love that because it's simple and it speaks straight to the heart of what discipleship is. Discipleship, actually, we tend to think of disciples as something Jesus started. Come, follow me, be my disciples. Discipleship actually started long before Jesus. It was part of the Jewish rabbinical system 150 years before Jesus was born. Rabbis were trained in the law in the first five books of the Bible, and those who were really, really good at it, became rabbis, and then they would identify people that they thought had the potential to carry on their message, and they would invite them to come and follow them. And these people, these disciples, would go everywhere the rabbi went. And so Jesus was actually carrying on something that had been in place for a really long time. Come, follow me, and be like me. Um, In that, and we're not going to go through this whole entire page, but I do want to point out the four quadrants on here. Each of these are areas of the Christian life that we should all be constantly growing and getting better at. If you're like me, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you can look at this page and go, I need to be better at all of them, right? But what it is helpful for is to look at and say, okay, this is the one I am the the strongest in. I'm very self-aware. I know my faults and my weaknesses. I know where my struggles are. But you know what? I am not good at evangelism. I'm not good at being on mission. And so then what that allows you to do is to look around and say, who is doing that well in my life? Who do I know that is just really great at getting out and sharing Jesus? And then that gives you the opportunity to plug into their life and say, hey, can we go grab some coffee? Can we just talk about this? this? Is something I'm struggling with? It's something I've noticed that you do well. Can you tell me how you got there and what you're doing to be so good at that? And a lot of times that's all it takes for a discipleship relationship to start naturally and organically. So use this. I hope you will. I plan on using it a lot. Um, But that's what it is to be a disciple. So if you turn the page, let's also address right up front some of those misconceptions that we might have, especially if we've had an unhealthy discipleship relationship. Let's talk about some things that it is not and that it is. And each of these columns, um, each point corresponds with the next. And I'm just going to go through these really quickly so we can get to the meat of the word today. Discipleship is not a cookie-cutter system or just reading the Bible or a book together. A lot of times we think, Oh, will you disciple me and sit with me at Starbucks for an hour a week and let's read through the book of Romans? Discipleship can look like that, and that can be a part of discipleship. But discipleship is so much more than just reading a book together. Discipleship is doing life together. It's, it's what Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ." Um, It's also not, there are two ditches in our thinking that we can tend to fall in when we think of discipleship. So if you're like me, and you've been a Christian for many, many years, I won't tell you how old I am, but before the modern evangelical movement, when I showed up at church and on the front of the bulletin it said, go and make disciples, I thought, it's Mission Sunday, they're going to tell us to go to Africa, right, for Jesus. Um, But it's so much more than just evangelism. But the other ditch we can fall in when we think about discipleship is that it's all about Christian growth. It's about me learning not to sin and having someone that will bash me over the head every time I mess up, right? Both of those things are important parts of discipleship, but neither of them are completely discipleship. And so if we fall into one of those ditches, it can actually lead us astray in our thinking when we're pursuing these types of relationships. It is different with everyone every time, requires patience and flexibility. A lot of times with the girls I do life with, they communicate differently than me. I would prefer to shoot off a text or a quick email. A lot of women are face-to-face people and quality time people. So that requires some flexibility on my part. And it also requires me to incorporate them into my everyday life. Like, hey, you know what? I don't have an hour this week, but I do have to go grocery shopping. Why don't you come with me? And then you can see how I meal plan and budget for those types of things. And all of those are important aspects of discipleship. Some of my greatest discipleship moments with people I've done life with have been holding their baby during the witching hour so they can cook dinner for their family and the two of us can talk. So flexibility on both sides, whether you're the discipler or the disciplee, it's working together to make that work. It is not a perfect Christian with a non-perfect Christian. Again, we tend to think, oh, I have to find that silver-haired woman in the church who's got it all together. She's got it all figured out. Her kids are grown and gone, and she's going to give me an hour of her week every week, right? It doesn't always look that way. Like I said, I've done discipleship since I was 12 and 13 years old with kids who are smaller than me. Spiritual maturity varies, and it, it doesn't always follow the same Lines as age. I, you can have a 40 year old who just became a Christian and a 29 year old who's been a Christian most of their life, right? And so spiritual maturity is going to be a little bit different in both of those. Um, it is not always an older senior Christian with a younger in age Christian. I just mentioned that. Um, spiritual maturity varies. Uh, It's not forced or random and rarely successful as a program. One of the things I hear a lot is the church just needs to start a program and pair women up together. I hardly ever see that work. And usually it will work with a few women and not the rest. And I'll tell you why. Because what we're asking our leadership to do there is to go, okay. You're more spiritually mature, you're more spiritually mature, you're more spiritually mature, and I'm going to pair you up with you and you and you and you. How many of you think that goes over very well? Not usually very often. Not only that, but then you're paired up with someone you don't even know, someone random that you've never met, and you're supposed to talk about your deepest, darkest struggles of your heart, right? That takes time to build that relationship and to build that trust. So organic discipleship typically works best between two people who know one another and who have established trust. Now, that doesn't mean you can't start discipleship with someone you don't know. It just means that it typically does not work that well, and it takes more time. I mean, it's not something to fuel gossip in the church. Again, if you have been a part of a bad, toxic discipleship relationship, this can happen. Um, and ladies, let's just be honest, we're, we're pretty bad at that sometimes. When you are sitting and doing life with someone and they're sharing their deepest, darkest struggles, this is your opportunity to speak truth into their life, to help them overcome that. Hopefully, the way someone else is helping you overcome those things in your life. And you wouldn't want them going around talking, telling their husband. Now, on the same token, A leading lady, I was told this very early on in my life, and this was a solid piece of advice that I cling to, leading ladies never, ever promise to keep secrets because there may come a time for the safety and the benefit of the individual that you have to say something to someone. And if you've promised them, because a lot of times when it comes to those deep, dark things that you might need to seek out help for, they're going to start by saying, don't ever tell anyone and the moment you say i won't then you're stuck right because if you do your trust is broken and so it's always best to say i promise you i will never share anything unless it's for your safety and for your well-being and when possible i will ask you first because there have been times when i've had to say hey you know what i don't know very much about this but i know someone who does I won't say your name, but it would be okay with you if I went to them and asked for some resources. It's always better to do it that way than to have two strangers at your birthday party meet and connect the dots, right? And then that trust is broken. Okay. It is not a maternal Messiah, someone to help and fix everyone or browbeat you over your struggles and be the Holy Spirit in your life. A discipler is not your conscience. Discipleship, like anything else, can become an idol. And ladies, we are fixers. We like to help people. We like to fix things. And sometimes in toxic discipleship relationships, the discipler can become that maternal messiah that needs to fix everyone, make everything better, and then that relationship can become your source of meaning and, and purpose. And anything we know we look to for meaning and purpose outside of God is what? Sin, right? So it's something you have to be on guard about. If you are, by the way, a woman who struggles with that, taking on too much and always wanting to fix and please, and uh, there's a book coming out. I'm actually on the book club for it. Hannah Anderson, if some of you remember, was here a couple of women's retreats ago. She's writing a new book called Humble Roots, if you want to write that down. Um, It's phenomenal. I've gotten an early copy and started reading the first three chapters. Excellent, excellent book for all women. I highly recommend it. It is not easy. Discipleship is messy and it's inconvenient, but it is worth it. If you have ever had someone in your life that you can be real and vulnerable with, someone to walk alongside you and help you with your struggles, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I think you also know that it's something we all long for desperately. It is never something we grow out of. It is never, ever ending until Christ's return. We should all be discipling and discipled on both sides. Okay, now let's flip over to why is it important. This is the meat, what we're going to talk about today. This is what really gets me excited. First of all, because Jesus commanded it. In Matthew 28, 18 through 10, 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right before Jesus leaves, he tells the disciples, he gives the disciples this one last command, until the end of the age, which means you, which means me, which means this isn't something we have an option about. It means that this is something we will pay an account for the day we stand before Christ. Have we been making disciples? Have we been discipled? Have we been growing? And how has that been happening? Um, So it is a commandment. The second thing that makes it important is that Jesus did it himself. Um, We see examples of Jesus getting away to be alone with the Father. And then he says, everything I do, I do because the Father commanded me. So we see Jesus sets the example himself of being discipled by the Father. And then he does it with others. And he went to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired... And they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. There's a book that I picked up a couple months ago at the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference, and I just devoured it. That was even before I knew that I was going to be doing this. It's called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. It's on the last page of your packet. We have some resources there for you. I highly recommend it if this is something you want to study further. But he says this and about Jesus and the example that he sets for discipleship and what it looks like. What kind of dynamic existed between Jesus and his disciples? It certainly included a, a rational dynamic. Jesus appealed to the reason of his followers by instructing them through sermons, stories, and object lessons. He labored to teach them the gospel of the kingdom of God. However, like Socrates, Jesus did not view his disciples as mere students. He viewed them as family. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For Jesus, discipleship was rational and relational, the second aspect of being a disciple. His relationship with dis- the disciples was based on truth and grace. He taught them the gospel and embodied its grace for them in everyday life. God humbled himself in Jesus to share everyday life with everyday people. He chose 12 disciples from various vocations, ranging from fishermen to taxmen, and shared everything with them. He shared his meals, his heart, His teachings, his sufferings, and his hope for the future with these men, all while taking road trips, mountain hikes, and moving towards his urban (laughs) martyrdom. Imagine how strong and intimate these relationships must have been. I thought that was a beautiful picture of what discipleship should look like. Thirdly, it is important because we need it. In 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We can all be lured and tempted. We all have sins in our lives that we don't even know are there, that we're oblivious to, and we need someone that can point those things out and serve as a mirror to us, like iron sharpening iron um, sharpening one another. And then here's a verse. This is not on your packet, but this is something I shared with some ladies a couple weeks ago, and I get really excited about it. There's a little book that we often overlook called Philemon. It's just one little chapter. It doesn't even have chapters. You just quote the verses. So this is Philemon 4 through 6. Because I, This is Paul talking He says, "...because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Jesus Christ." Let me read that again, the end of it. "...I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ." I often read Paul's introductions and just zip past them, right? I'm praying for you, I love you, you know, hope everything's well. This one stopped me in my tracks one day and I thought, man, is that saying what I think it's saying? I had to read it a couple times. Paul is saying that by knowing one another, we experience more of the grace of God than we would ever experience without one another. You guys have gifts and talents that God has given you that I don't have. God is working and moving in your life in ways that he's not working in mine. So by plugging in together, we get to see more of who God is and experience the gospel through one another. So I loved that passage. Um, and then it takes our focus off of ourselves and shifts it to loving and serving others. Mark eight thirty-four through 38 If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Discipleship gives us the opportunity to focus on the needs of one another. Not in a a sense of denial, like, oh, I'm going to focus on your needs so I don't have to worry about my own but when I'm struggling and having a hard time and I look up, look away from myself and look up at the world around me, I'm able to go, man, my cousin Jessica has an 18-month-old with cancer and I'm stressed about my car or whatever it is. It takes our gaze off ourselves and helps us to focus on the bigger picture and needs so much greater than our own. And then finally, this is a pattern established throughout Scripture um, first of all, in the home, if you have children, first and foremost, this is right where it starts. I mentioned that at, in my home with my parents and my grandmothers. I had two very godly grandmothers as well. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, um, the Israelites are about to come out of the wilderness, and God says, hold on, y'all are about to be really happy. You're about to get everything you've longed for for 40 years, and you're going to be tempted to forget me, but wait, wait. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as front lips between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates." What Deuteronomy is saying here is that everything you do as parents in your home should point back to the gospel. Every little thing, as mundane as laying down to go to sleep and getting up in the morning, the word of God should be fresh on your heart and your life so that you're imparting that onto your children as well. My best friend Carla has four kids. I don't have any kids, but she says that the hardest part of parenting for her when her oldest daughter started exercising her will and being rebellious She said, I tend to get really angry when Hannah exhibits the qualities of me in my life that I hate about myself, and it makes me angry. And I have to stop and remember that I'm shepherding this little heart the same way I'm discipling these other women in my life. And that's a hard thing to do and to remember as a parent. We have a couple of resources there on that last page as well for those of you who are parents and who are struggling with that. It's a very real thing. You're not alone, but it is something that you can do and do well. In 2 Timothy 1.5 as well, um, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Lois and Eunice established that pattern of discipleship with Timothy and look at the young man that he became. And also, Timothy didn't let it go there either and say, oh, they taught me everything I needed to know. But then he went on to be discipled by Paul, and Paul refers to him as a spiritual child. Um, Secondly, discipleship should happen in the church. I put First Timothy down there, and I'll tell you why. I tried and tried to narrow it down to a couple of verses in First Timothy, but every time I started to read it, I just wanted to read the whole entire thing. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. Don't worry. You're all looking at your watch. Um, but I did break it down a little bit. So in First Timothy, you see the example of Paul giving one-on-one discipleship to Timothy, and he's explaining to him exactly how discipleship should look in the church as a whole. So in chapter 2, if any of you are following along, Discipleship in the church should be accepting of all people and be reverent and respectful. I loved the sermon yesterday. The whole time I was silently like amening because it fit right along with what I was going to be talking about today. Um, So all nations, races, tribes, and tongues should be welcome into the church anytime. Chapter 3, church leaders should be servants who lead by example, Um, 1 Timothy gives some pretty strict criteria for anybody who wants to be an elder and a deacon in the church. It goes right down to what their wives should look like, what their children should look like, the things that they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. All of our leaders should be leading by example. Chapter 4 the church should be well trained in the word and sound doctrine. And chapter 5, the church should be respectful and honoring to the older elders of the church while building up the younger in the church. Um, So always in the church we should be, we don't tend to think of going to church as discipleship. I'm going to go be discipled today. We tend to go to church and and think, oh, this is just something that I need to do on Sunday Sunday. But the, especially at Park Church, and it's one of the things I really value here, is that all of the liturgies in place and the things, the structure, the fact that the first thing they want us to hear on Sunday morning is Scripture, are all establishing patterns and, and uh, ways of thinking in our hearts and our lives that are really discipling us in ways that we might not even realize are happening. Then um, in community, Acts 2, 42 through 47 says... praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. <clears throat> and then Hebrews ten twenty-three through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. These two verses are a perfect picture of what our gospel community should look like. My gospel community went camping together this weekend, and I didn't get to go. I was the little piggy who had to stay home. But all weekend long, they were communicating on our group chat and sending pictures and posting comments, and I just felt myself longing to be there with them. And that is how community should be, right? Doing life together, laughing together, learning together, all of those things are a part of discipleship. Um, Also, in Gospel-Centered Discipleship, he said this, and I thought this was really nice as well. He says, our city groups have become much more than a weekly meeting. Many of them live what we refer to as a steady state of community. True community is a steady state of social, gospel, and missional connections, which result in connecting over meals, in social settings, and on mission. It isn't unusual for our city groups to gather multiple times a week, often in little pockets, at a baseball game, a bar, in the projects, a neighborhood, or at a restaurant. For many, this starts as a discipline to love and serve others, but slowly matures into deeper community and love. The challenge of loving others as we love ourselves confronts our deep down idolatries. It exposes our functional worship of individual privacy, convenience, and comfort. However, when we practice this kind of community, it becomes a remarkable display of the gospel to the world. I think it is good for us to be mildly inconvenienced by one another so that we can grow and learn to love people who are different than us. And then finally, one-on-one with others. Um, In 2 Timothy We see that, um, we already saw in 1 Timothy, Paul personally discipling Timothy one-on-one. He refers to Timothy as his spiritual son. But then even Paul, in the beginning of Galatians, describes how after his conversion, he did not go straight into ministry, but he spent time learning from other men uh, for a long time before he he went into ministry. Um, So finally, that's why it's important Who should disciple and who should be discipled? (laughs) The reason you have a picture of Peter Pan there. There How many of you have seen the movie Hook? Anybody? Robin Williams, Peter Pan. At the end of that movie, Peter Pan is handing the sword off to Rufio, putting Rufio in charge, and he looks at the rest of the lost boys and he said, but each of you is responsible to look after those who are littler than you. And Too Small says well, then who do I look after? Peter says, never bugs, little ones. That is my challenge for all of you in this room. We should all be being discipled by someone wiser and more spiritually mature in whatever season or category you need the most work in. And we should all be looking out for someone below us that we can come alongside and pull up. Can I pray for us? Jesus, our King, thank you for pursuing us and calling us to be yours. We know you're better than anything, and your ways are perfect. Please help our hearts to believe that. God, make us into willing servants who will lay down our lives and go make disciples. Make us humble and willing to receive discipleship from others who are wiser than us. And please bring people into our paths that we can walk with and do life with. We ask that you will make us a people marked by our love and obedience to you and our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
3: Ladies.
1: Well, thanks, Denise. That was really wonderful just to hear. And um, just wanted to follow up with a question or two. Um, yeah, just to ask you, I mean, I think, I know myself included, as women, we hear this and... I um, hear the challenge of God to go and make disciples and to live this out. But what would, I mean, as I think about it, I'm like, how do I have time for this? Um, so I'd love for you to just kind of share with women on how would you set up health, healthy boundaries and how would you encourage them to, to make time for this or how to fit it, discipleship into your schedule?
2: Yeah, it's true. We live in an age where we're busier than ever, all of us. And we also have more time than ever because we have more and more gadgets and machines doing things for us and making things faster. And so instead of making more time, we're just cramming ourselves full with more stuff, right? And so I think what's helpful for me is to sometimes take time to just evaluate um, which of these things are essential in my life. Which of these things are time wasters in my life And and narrowing some of that down I took a six month break from Facebook once And it was the best thing that I've ever done Because I learned I can live without it (laughs) Imagine that Um, But we do so many things during the day The other thing I would say to that is It's a command guys I mean it's not something we go Oh when I'm less busy (laughs) I'll take care of that Because we're never going to get less busy This is something Jesus commanded us to do Um, So some of the ways that I do that Um, I think all of the girls that I do life with could tell you that I, I set boundaries. They know that I have other people that I meet with. I have times where I say, Hey guys, I'm stretched to my limit right now. I need to get away. I won't be available this weekend. Um, so know what your limits and your boundaries are. And then also communicating those, I think, is also... And I mentioned a couple things already. Squeeze people in. It doesn't always mean sitting in a coffee shop for an hour a week. Mm-hmm. It can mean, come, you know, grocery shop with me. Come hold my baby. Help me fold laundry. These are all things I've really done, by the way, in, my, in being discipled by other people. Mm-hmm. So just bring them, bring them along with you. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, do life together. That's yeah. Great.
1: And then also, like, one last question as we wrap up. Um, I think about discipleship, and sometimes people leave, sometimes people move. Um, Mm Does the discipleship process end? Does it change over time? Does it just keep going and going? Or how would you speak to that?
2: Yeah. You know, I never really have established... You can do that. I mean, you can say, hey, let's go through this book together, and when we're done, I challenge you to go do the same with someone else. Um, You can do that. I never have really done it that way. And what I've noticed is that there tends to be a gradual evolution. People get busy. They move, like you said. Um, My friend Jennifer, when we were... Younger. She's one of the girls that I did life with. She met her future husband while I was discipling her, so I got to walk with her through dating and getting engaged and getting married. And then, you know, just mysteriously after marriage, I heard from her less and less over time. And that discipleship relationship just morphed into more of a friendship. On that same token, though, you always will remain somebody who is a wiser voice in their life. And a couple of years ago, she even came back to me and said, Hey, she texted me actually, and said, "Whatever you're doing, drop it right now. Call me," and said, "I need to know how to handle this in a godly manner because I'm going to handle it really, really bad." So it never—it never ends. It never stops. It cha- it morphs and it changes. But yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much. I thank appreciate you. you sharing. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm glad Denise got to share, and I know for some of you all, some of this may be new, some of this may be stuff you've heard several times, but the reason we're bringing it up tonight is, just as Denise said, it is a command, and it also is something we want to challenge you in, we want to encourage you in, and we want to help you guys live into this. And so, um, because of that, um, if you see in your packet, if you go to the next page, I think there should be some table discussions, and we're going to take about 15 minutes for you guys to um, discuss together and just kind of talk through what does this look like now and um, freedom to say, I don't have it figured out. That's okay. But we want to just help start the process of helping you think through how does this play out into your life. And um, we're going to probably gather back in about 15 minutes, but in that time, you're welcome to use the restroom as well and check out the book table. So thanks. Thanks. Okay, we are going to kind of come back together. Um, Denise provided us with a, sorry to interrupt conversations, but Denise provided us with a great overview of um, just the theology of discipleship. And so I thought we could take some time with these wonderful women and kind of jump in a little further towards the practical side. I um, would love to have them introduce themselves, and um, yeah, would you guys mind just introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about, like, what your um, involvement in the local church has been like over the years, and um, maybe tell you, yeah, tell us about who you are.
0: I'll start us off. Um, Hey, my name is Lindsay Gustafson, and um, I grew up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and then someone from South Dakota? (laughs) Uh, and then I um, went to college in Kentucky at Murray State University, where I actually became a Christian um, in college, my freshman year. And ever since I had become a Christian, God had really like given me a heart for um, evangelism and discipleship. Those were things that I really loved doing. I was able to I played soccer there, and so was able to um, kind of learn how to share my faith and disciple women um, in college, and then stayed um, in Kentucky for a year and coached soccer and worked with some students with learning disabilities for a year. And then um, in 2005, I started working with Campus Outreach, which is a college ministry that focuses on um, evangelizing and discipling college women. So I've been doing that ever since I just moved here in July um, from Memphis, Tennessee, and get to do college ministry here in Denver. So I'm really excited.
4: Hi, I'm Gwen Hubbard. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, my husband and I have been married for 35 years, and we moved. I know. I don't know how I'm up here for diversity. <laughs> we moved to Denver in January and joined Park in May. And prior to that, we were in Naperville, Illinois, for 21 years. So that, to me, that's home. Uh, I have three children, Elizabeth, 32, married to Seth. And I think some of you guys even know them. Um, they live in Naperville, where we were, well, in Wheaton, near where we were. And my son, Jip, is 30, and he's married to Megan, and they go here at Park. And then my youngest, Addie, is 22, and she's finishing her last semester at Baylor. Um, over the 35 years, um, I've been a Christian. I've served in the church in a variety of ways. I just tried a lot of different things, and th- some of those... Uh, were not a good fit, and some of them I loved, and the thing that I enjoyed most was um, for 15 years before we moved here, I volunteered at a women's homeless shelter, and the last six years, I taught Bible study to the women when they first came in, Just, um, just the basics of Christianity, and I honestly, I felt like that was the thing that God made me to do. So when we left, that was really hard for me to
2: leave.
4: Oh, you oh, I think I have one. Can we turn it off? I think it's fine. Hello.
5: Um, I'm Kristen McElroy, and um, like Lindsay, I came to Christ in college when I was a freshman and um, met my husband there, and uh, we have been married for 12 years, husband Chuck, and we have two kids. Um, Hudson is eight. He would say eight and a half. And Elizabeth is seven, and they're my little disciples right now. Um, as far as serving in uh, just the church and ministry, um, my husband and I have been on staff with Campus Outreach, the same ministry. Lindsay um, works for um, for twelve years, and um, yeah, so we have been uh, spending time with lots of college students from evangelizing groups and uh, discipleship. And then the past few years, um, our role kind of changed and I was more mentoring, um, just our young staff wives and, um, moms and that kind of thing, which I've really enjoyed. Um, so yeah. And then as far as church, just, uh, nursery and Sunday school.
1: I'd love to hear, um, each of you just share an example of someone who has discipled you and maybe how that impacted you and what, what that discipleship process looked like for you guys.
0: Um, when I was thinking about this question, I think there was two women that came to mind and one was a girl named Ashley who, um, when I was a freshman started telling me about Jesus and what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. And so she really led me, had an impact on me coming to know the Lord and then stuck with me and really helped me continue to grow and build that foundation in my walk with God. And so we had formal times of like we would meet and she would help me learn how to read the Bible and pray and tell others about Jesus and the importance of having community with other Christians and stuff. So we had a formal time like that, but then there was just times when I remember Ashley would just take walks with me and I would ball my eyes out to her or she would, um, we always had dance parties and just we really as denise was talking about just did life together and she um, she works at the YMCA and i just remember her love for like her coworkers and the way that she would talk about them and ask us to pray for them was so impactful to me like she she didn't have to teach me to pray and to love people who didn't know jesus she lived it out and i just caught that from her life and she would invite me over to dinner and she would cook a meal for me and she would be, say hey bring a friend from one of your college friends and and i'd love to have them over for dinner and she would just love them and talk to them about the Lord, and I was just like watching her life, and just learned so much just from the way she lived, and the, the things that she um, taught me through just her life, and then another woman, her name was Gay, and actually for the last seven years, she's been in my life, she's 79 years old, and she is like a true Southern belle, um, and she just, she was the most fun, um, spunky, almost 80-year-old woman I've met, and she um, loves Jesus so much, and she We would meet weekly to do a Bible study, um, and so we did a lot of, like, formal time. But then outside of that, she went on vacation with me, and we would go grocery shopping, or we would just do fun um, life together. And I think both of these women just not only loved and cared for me and listened to me um, and taught me all about the Lord, but also just um, I caught so much from their lives in the way that they walked with Jesus and just um, got to do life with them. And so those were two women that stand out to me.
4: Um, early in our marriage, David and I lived in Atlanta for a brief time, and that's when I went to my first women's Bible study. Um, Mrs. Raffo was the teacher, and she uh, she knew God's Word. And she was in her 80s, and she was from England, so I just loved to hear her talk. And, um, and, and she had led a very interesting and hard life, and, and that could be why she thought, saw through my smile, um, To the anxiety and um, the insecurity that I felt. Um, At that time in my life, I um, actually was pregnant when I met her and had a toddler, and David worked very long hours, and it was probably about the toughest time in our marriage. Um, Mrs. Raffo became my spiritual mother, and I did not have a great relationship with my mom, uh, not until later in her life, but um, we, we would, outside of Bible study, we would talk on the phone, and um, I would pour out my heart to her, my frustrations with David, and, and my kids, and my mom, and she would encourage me to be patient with my husband. Uh, she would not necessarily take his side, but, but help me to think of life from his perspective, Uh, What a hard time it is for a man to go out every day and fight in that world. And uh, the responsibility that he felt to be the provider for the family. And then I had these two little kids. It would drive me crazy, and she would call me, and I would be in tears. And she would laugh at me, which was exactly what I needed. I just needed somebody to lighten things up. And so... um, I look, I really do look to her as a woman that, um, besides the gal that led me to Christ, she was so influ- influential in my life because I really do believe that she helped uh, keep my marriage together and, and keep my children alive.
5: <laughs> um, when I was thinking about... Uh just people who have discipled me I kept going back to three so I'll just do brief ones Um, Dana was the one that she came to my dorm room she came to my volleyball games she would have me over for slumber parties and she was newly married and so I kinda got to see you know just that stage which was fun and we went jogging together and just she came to my world when I was in college Um, The second one um, is Joanne, and about that same time, um, Joanne had three small kids. She was homeschooling, and I would go to her house. She would have me come join her, so I went to her son's soccer games. Um, She would want to go get some exercise, so she would make me push her toddler in the stroller because I was more fit than she was, and so I'd be pushing, and it wasn't a jogger stroller. It was one of those normal ones. And so, um, yeah, so I just came along and did life with her. Like Denise was saying, like folding laundry. I remember her shoving laundry over so I could sit on the couch and we would fold while we were talking. So, um, I even got to watch her disciple her kids and discipline her kids in front of me. And I go back to that all the time now as a mom. And then I just was just watching what their life looked like. So um and then the third one um, would be Jennifer and um this was kind of during when my kids were toddlers and she really just came along beside me she had older kids and she served me and encouraged me and um she gave me truth but then she also gave me practical tips with the kids you know um, which was really helpful um I remember I broke my ankle and so she, she had she took my kids like my husband dropped the kids off at her house right before dinner time to take me to the emergency room and she took care of my kids and then the rest of the day she play, she organized a meal plan and so friends were bringing me meals for 2 weeks and she just was thoughtful like that so just i don't know i just really appreciated how she thought well for me in that hard season of toddlers you know so
1: that's great thank you Gwen, I'd love to hear from you. Um, here at Park, we don't have a formalized discipleship process, kind of like Denise mentioned. Um, what would you advise someone who's looking to be discipled or seeking out someone to disciple them?
4: Well, <clears throat> I, I would say if you're looking for someone to disciple you, I would suggest pursuing somebody that's a step ahead of you. Spiritually, Um, many of my mentors are younger than me. You can probably figure out why. Um, If you pursue someone and they don't seem interested in the friendship, in in that relationship, um, and and I'm just learning this, don't don't take offense at that. Um, Just try and have the courage to pursue somebody else. Uh, You're just not going to click with everybody. Um, And, um, you know, just to to have the confidence to risk initiating. Um, Most people are appreciative and flattered when asked to get together. And it's been interesting since we've been here. I mean, we've only been here eight months, but I've had a number of young women from Park ask me to get together, ask if I would mentor them, um, ask if I would disciple them, and honestly, I, I really don't feel adequate to do that, but I have to remind myself that I do know how to be a friend, um, I, I because when I think of discipleship, I love so much of what you said, but sometimes it can feel so formal, you know, that it's like, I can't. I can't disciple somebody. But again, I know how to be a friend. I had to learn that too. Um, so, so I have a lot of new young friends. And I, <laughs> and, um, and honestly, I, and I have told them, you know, I, I am glad to just be friends with you um, and, and, and that we just figured out together. Because I, part of part of the fear, that 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 thought of it being this formal discipleship, is that they're going to say, "Well, I'm struggling with this," and I'm going to have to say, "Well, I am too." I mean, it, it came up just the other day. A, a, a gal talking about something that her husband did it just makes her crazy, and I'm like, "Yeah, I know." So. I haven't figured it out, but I have a lot of life experience, and so I love, I just love sharing life. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Now we're all going to be Gwen's best friend (laughs) because (laughs) you're alert.
1: Well, let's transition a little to hear a little bit more about evangelism and how discipleship goes together. Um, Lindsay, I'd love to hear from you. Um, Help us understand maybe the difference between evangelism and discipleship. How are they similar? How are they different? Yeah. Um,
0: well, just in simple terms, I would say when I think of evangelism, I think of evangelism as the process of leading someone to faith in Christ through sharing the gospel with them. And then I would say with discipleship, a lot, I mean, obviously what Denise just shared with us, but yeah, just help coming alongside another Christian to help them grow in their maturity in Christ, that they can pass that on to someone else as well. So um, I think that with the main differences with evangelism, you're sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know the Lord yet personally, and um, with discipleship, you're helping um, a Christian grow in their maturity. But both are still are the, the gospel is central to both of those. And so you're you're sharing the gospel. You're you're both um, in both evangelism and discipleship. You're really calling other people to love and trust and follow Jesus, um, whether that's for the first time or for the hundred thousand millionth time. Um, you're you're calling people to to follow and to trust and to love Jesus. Um, I think um, another similarity is that they're both done best in the context of a relationship and so where that trust is built. And so um, that's not to say it can't be done in, in a program or in a, um, you know, you're just on the street sharing your faith. Those those ways work as well. But I would say they're probably done best in the context of a relationship where there is trust and there is um, just a just that whole principle of more is caught than taught. (laughs) Like, you catch things from people's lives more than even just the words that you say. And so um, I think within a community, we're discipling each other. um, And also just within community, you can bring um, those people who don't know Jesus into that gospel community, that they could see the love that you have for one another and know that you're Christ's disciples, to see Christ in that. Um, And then I also think just that they're both a process of God doing the work, so um, evangelism and discipleship, they're not just like a formal program of like take them through these steps and boom you've got a mature disciple or boom you have a follower of Jesus, I think um, both are a work of God and so it takes time, both um, um, just God is the one who's going to cause the growth, God's the one who's going to draw that unbeliever to himself and then um, I think also discipleship can be done within the context of evangelism that you're living that missional life together um, and able to kind of do them both together. So that's how I would see some of the differences.
1: That's great. Thank you. And to kind of expand on that a little further, I'd love to hear from you and Kristen. Like, can you help cast a vision for why evangelism is important? Why is it necessary? And how has that helped you guys grow as individuals as you've evangelized to others? Or decide?
0: yeah. Um, well, I think... So, evangel- I I love telling people about Jesus, and I think um, one of the reasons it's important, obviously, first and foremost, is because Christ commands us to be his witnesses. And so, um, in Acts 1, eight, I mean, all over scripture, but that's one of them where it talks about just us being witnesses um, for Christ and telling others about him. And so, um, I think, obviously, first and foremost, Christ commands us. And when I think about just he's worthy to be worshipped and um, to be made known all over the earth. And so... Um, those are a couple reasons, but then I think also just the obvious of without the gospel going forth, there's millions of people perishing um, who, apart from Jesus Christ who will spend an eternity apart from God in hell um, who don't know Jesus. And I think um, there's a quote by Charles Spurgeon um, just on why I think evangelism is important he says you cannot stop their dying but oh that god might help you to stop their being damned you cannot stop the breath from going out of their bodies but oh if the gospel could stop their souls from going down to destruction and i just think um just the privilege that god gives us to take the gospel and the good news to people who are perishing and who don't know christ that we can be witnesses to people who bear his image and um who are Souls that are important to him, and that we could tell him them the good news and that they could have hope for eternal life as well, so, those would, be my
1: so would love to hear kind of why you feel evangelism is important and um,
5: yeah. well i think I think she said it perfectly that's those are all my reasons um, I think that uh I think one thing that's hard, just my personality is like eh, i don't know enough or you know i i don't know you know, um, but I have to keep going back to and I would encourage you too that um, if you are walking with Jesus and you can listen, then you're equipped, and um, it doesn't have to be a formal sit down in depth study. Um, you just do life with somebody and that's with evangelism or discipleship. And you can, um, in both of those, you listen, you encourage, push them towards Christ, push them towards the word. And so, um, I think
1: that's what I would add to that. Yeah. And you're right. That is applicable to whether you're discipling someone or evangelizing. Yeah, that's great. Well, Lindsay, I know um, some people might be thinking, this is your job, right? You're on staff with campus outreach. Evangelism is something you do, and obviously you're passionate about it, which is really cool to hear. But how would you encourage someone who maybe isn't used to talking to their coworkers or um, their children or even friends in their lives? What would, what would you say to them, the people who are more yeah, reserved about it?
0: Yeah. I definitely can relate. I, d- I, don't, I don't think you're crazy. I think there's all sorts of insecurities and fears and, like, ooh, I feel inadequate, I'm super uncomfortable, this is so awkward. Like, all of those things I actually just experienced today. So um, if you feel those things, you're in good company. <laughs> um, and so I don't think that's a, I think that's a very normal um, response that even when you think about, like, Oh, I could never tell someone about Jesus that just makes my heart go really fast, and I still get like that to this day so um, anyway, I would just say you're in good company and um, I think even before I would answer that, I would even just say like just the ways that evangelisms helped me grow in so many ways because it it causes you to depend on God so much more because you're stepping out in faith and you're recognizing your own inadequacies and your own fears and you're having to to pray and to take your eyes off yourself and to trust god to to do a work in people's lives and you're um you know coming to grips with your own insecurities and recognizing like okay jesus my identity is in you not what these people think of me not how well my presentation goes none of that like all it just draws you so much closer to god so i would just um i just wanted to say that because and i think it drives you to god's word like there's often times when i don't know how to answer someone's question but i'm just like okay, well, let me find out. I don't know, but let me find out. Or And then I have to dig into God's word. So all of those things, it's like, it's pushing me to know God more, to have deeper intimacy, great, more gratefulness for his work that he's done for me as I'm telling others what he's done for them. I'm like, wow, like Jesus, I can't believe you've done this for me. But I think, um, I would just say, if you're in that boat of like, where would I even begin? How would I start telling someone about Jesus? Like, I'm totally freaked out that overwhelms me or i feel guilty or i feel whatever i would say start by praying and i think um just to pray that god would open doors for you to proclaim the gospel i think pray um and and just confess your lack of courage or wisdom or whatever it is to god or your lack of desire maybe even just confessing that to the lord um and just praying that god would would change your heart and that he would begin to to draw some lost people around you to himself um, but even just open doors for that. I think um, I think obviously as you, you might just pick you might think of one person that you work with or a neighbor or a family member, and, and just begin praying for that person because I think as you pray for them, your heart begins to grow for someone. And so I would just encourage you to pray um, for that person and just ask that God would give you compassion for people who don't know him to see. I think of that verse in Matthew 9, um, I think it's Matthew nine thirty six, where it says that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think oftentimes we can see our coworkers or our neighbors or family members or children or whatever, and we're annoyed with them and are like, oh, why are they doing that? It's like, well, they're, they're harassed, they're helpless, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. Like No wonder they're, they're living out their, sinf- like their nature. Like They need to be led back to the Savior, and I just think to begin to ask God to help see them as he sees them. Um, with compassion, that you would have compassion on them. And then I would just say start building a relationship with someone who doesn't know the Lord, or if you already have that relationship, focus on that relationship. Some of us are so overcommitted to, it might even be good Christian activities, but you may need to, to take some time and just to have a meal with someone who doesn't know the Lord or go do something fun with... Um, maybe it's a roommate. Again, there's just, there's people in your life that don't know Christ. And I would just say, you're going to have to take some time to invest in those relationships. And so you may have to cut back on something else. But, um, you know, I I just think people aren't going to care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And so if you don't have that relationship built with them and show them that you care about them, they are not going to care all these great things that you say, like your life really is on display to them. And I would just say, um, begin to, to build that relationship with them. And then, um, I think um you know that whole like I'm scared I, you know I'm scared every time I share my faith. I, I really am, like I'm my heart's beating and I um but I think that God promises he'll go with you, he's gonna speak through you. I think of the Apostle Paul, lots of his prayers, you know, were for God to give him the words to say and that's like the Apostle Paul who we like put way up here, you know. And I just think um yeah, that God promises to go with us, um and, and that we can claim like we are children and ambassadors of Christ like it doesn't matter what these people think of us or whatever it is. Um, I don't know enough, you might be saying, and I would say that's not a requirement to know everything before you can go and tell someone. If that was, then none of us would share a faith. And so um, you you have the Holy Spirit in you, meaning you actually know you have um, truth and and things to offer people that they don't have um, and that you have good news to bring to them. And so even if all you know is your testimony, I mean, I think of the woman at the well. You know, it said she you know, she encounters Jesus and she goes and tells, you know, come see this man who's told me everything I ever did. And then it says right after that, it says that many people believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. And so it's not like she had all this formal training, you know, it's she, she just told people what Jesus had done for her and they believed in Christ. And so, um, and then I would just say, be a good, good listener, ask a question. Um, evangelism isn't always just so much about talking as much as it can be about listening and, and hearing people's stories and and diving into to their life and sometimes it's messy and a lot of times it is because our lives are messy um and then i would just say like be patient with people and um it's it's a process it's not it, it might you might share the gospel with someone tomorrow and they could come to faith in christ but it might be years and i mean my own brother told me four or five years ago like don't ever talk to me about the lord again and just this summer he started coming around and asking questions and so it's been a long process i mean it's not forever, but it's long enough to where it was like, okay, I really want to see my brother know the Lord. But um, I just, one of the things I just, I think that non-believers are drawing conclusions about, the, about Christ through your life. And so just live it, that out in front of them. And um, just that your honesty, your integrity, your faithfulness, your diligence, your servant's heart, your concern for others, your cheerful spirit could open up doors for the gospel. So I just think live out your faith and, and don't be afraid to, to speak about it
1: as well. That's great. Yeah. And I think all that is so transferable again to discipleship. I mean, we look at having patience. I mean, we get frustrated with fellow believers, and it's praying and asking forgiveness, reminding that everyone is broken and everyone needs a Savior. And so, yeah, I love that. Thanks. Um, Gwen, I'd love for you to share a little bit about. Um, um, I know you said you've had a few mentors that um, you talked about, Miss Rufia. Raffo, I was thinking Rufio, like <laughs> the movie, but Peter Pan, but, um, or Hook, but um, I'd love to hear um, how has having men- multiple people speak into your life um, been beneficial for you?
4: Um, I, I, I got married just a short time after I became a Christian. I, when David and I were dating, I became a Christian and we moved several times over the next few years, and it, it just, well, God just provided me at least one mentor uh, in, in each one of those cities. Sometimes it was somebody my own age, but they were ahead of me spiritually. And, um, and it was never anything formal. We were just friends, but it's just like you said, people, people watch you, and, and I watched them, and, and I learned from them what it looked like to be a Christian. Um, and, and so that was really through friendships. it was mentoring, but it was through friendships and Then we moved to Indianapolis um, and and that 's when I had friendships that were more an equal um, we were more spiritual equals and we just we just lived life together and, and nurtured and poured into one another um, there 's a group of us. Um, that we were in a huge Sunday school class there and uh, from that class we had um, several friends that we are still friends with over 25 years later we moved to Naperville from Indianapolis and then six months later one of those couples moved just north of us and then a few years later another couple a few years later another couple so there were five couples and none of us live in Indianapolis anymore, but I still call them the Indianapolis group, and and we have just um, as couples, we have um, we we have lived life. We've raised our kids together. Um, we've gone through job losses, rebellious kids, uh, parents dying, difficult moves. Um, marriages of our kids some have had grandkids serious health issues and there's been a lot of tears over the years more laughter uh, but we speak to one another from a, di- a lot of different perspectives and, and just um, our different life experiences all these couples were close not just the gals but the, the guys as well couples I mean we we do vacations together And and the the thing that is most important to all of us is our faith. And we always point one another back to Christ. When we go through those really hard things, we're there for one another. And because we don't even all live in the same city anymore, we have other friends, but we have this connection that it feels more like feels more like family. It's what the body looks like and um, so, I've, I, so I've had a number of mentors but, but that group I, I just encourage you those especially the age that you guys I mean as I look out here most of you are so close to the same age the friendships that you make now if you can keep those just living life together it especially as you raise kids together. There's just something about raising kids together. You, you support one another, and, and, and I think that's mentoring. I think that's discipling. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's great. Yeah. Well, I love that, and just even getting to yeah live life, life alongside people over a course of time. And we just have like a minute left, but I'd love to hear you two touch real fast on um, – what does discipleship look like for children with your children, and what does that look like over the course of time? Um, I know we're getting close on time, but would love to just hear. Um, I know some of you aren't moms, and some of you are hoping to be moms, and some of you may not be moms, but ever. But however God does that in your life, there's children around that God wants you to speak into their lives, and so I'd love to hear have you guys, yeah, touch on that a little.
4: Yeah. Okay,
5: well, right now I have my eight-and-a-half-year-old and and my my seven-year-old, and kind of how it looks just right now is um, we have a goal to do intentional family worship time two to three times a week, and that's very, hmm, you know, depends, (laughs) but that's our goal. Um, And during that time, what I've been really excited about is now that both my kids can read, we can really you know i guess include them so they they're reading the passage when we're worshiping together we have it on on the tv on youtube or whatever and they can read the words and they can sing along so they're able to engage more now that they're a little bit older um, and we can have conversations and teach them how to pray during that time so that's our intentional family worship time which is like fifteen minutes <laughs> so it doesn't have to be long at all Um, also just discipling my children, it's a lot of unplanned times, and this is something that I, who I'm like, I get so focused on what I'm doing that I have to tell myself stop, like something's going on, stop, and talk it through with them, or, um, stop and disciple, so I have to stop what I'm doing, I have to ask lots of questions, a lot of listening, um... And uh, really just the focus is shepherding their heart rather than their behavior. And I think i noticed on the list of books, Shepherding a Child's Heart, love it. That would be one of my – that's one of our go-to parenting books. Um, And then just being real with them. Like, I've told my kids many times recently, like, almost just relating to them as a fellow sinner, like, just helping them – like, hey, mommy has a hard time, too. Mo- like, we just moved here in May, and um, one of my kids is really struggling with being here. And I'm like, mommy's having a hard time, too. I'm, I'm trying to make friends, too. And so being able to relate, um, you can tell just it, it that it clicks with them. Like, oh, I'm not, you know, mommy's in this with me. Daddy's in this with me. So... Um, I would encourage the ones with, I know I'm, I'm talking really long, um, the ones with toddlers, <laughs> intentional worship time, um, was hilarious when they were like two and three. I took a video, which isn't very worshipful, but I took a video when we were, um, worshiping and we were teaching them the Lord's Prayer, so Chuck is saying the Lord's Prayer and Hudson is bouncing off, up and off the couch, and Elizabeth is crawling on Chuck's shoulders. And we're saying the prayer, and it's just, it was just messy and and silly. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, is this even worth it? Um, But looking back, I felt like we were building a foundation of this is what we do as a family. Like, we're going to get in God's word because we're, we're following God's way. And this is his word, and it teaches us what his way is, which is good. And so it doesn't look productive at all, but you're building a foundation for that. Um, and then I think even just with uh, toddlers, um, just incorporating Jesus in everything you know i remember one time i i got a really good parking spot and i was like thank you god for this good parking spot like i said it out loud and so then you know after that time the kids would always say thank you god you know they're just soaking up everything um you know when your little when your kids are playing with their pretend cell phone you can say Hey, do you know we can talk to God too? You know, we don't have to talk to Him on the phone. We talk to Him through prayer. You know, just little things like that, where they see that God isn't just something we do at church. God is something that He's He's in everything and He's um, in our lives. So, um, I would say two two big things with toddlers: one, the Jesus Storybook Bible. That's a good one. And then also, um, I had these worship uh, songs. Well, really, you can do any worship songs in the car. Um, But I also had these ones that were um, scripture verses that they would sing. And they were kind of cheesy, but they would get stuck in my head, too. And so it was good for me. And also, it calms down the fighting in the car because they're listening (laughs) to um, something. So that's what I would encourage. And oh, one more thing I would say. We went to a conference, and um, this um, godly, godly um, man said, um, okay, I can give you a list of 10 things to do and whatever, but what I would say overall is just love God and love your kids, and that was just so freeing for me. It's like, okay, I don't have to be perfect. You know, we figure it out as we go, but if I just love God and love my kids, then um, he's going to cover us with grace <laughs> so anyway
1: i love that yeah are you sure okay <laughs> well okay well i know we're running out of time so um thank you guys so much for all you shared we really yeah um and if you have more questions for them feel free to um follow up after um and then i know if you need to slip out we totally understand um i wanted to call kaylee up real fast to um just share for a minute or two real fast on um, what it's been like. Um, You guys are welcome to, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Just share a little bit about um, what it's been like being involved in a cohort. Um, And I promise we'll be done within about three to five minutes. So um, thank you so much for your patience while we've gone a little bit over. But.
3: Hi. Um, yeah, Kyle just asked me to speak just really briefly about cohorts, um, which I've been at park for about a year now. And I probably spent about the first six months not knowing what a cohort was. And then once I sort of knew what it was, had no idea like if they were happening, how they were happening, how to get involved type thing. Um, but basically, um, I found out that cohorts are kind of like a way to do a deeper study um, on a specific topic um, or just dive in really with, like, the women in my gospel community. So I have a particularly large gospel community, so we actually have two cohorts. Um, but it's like there's about six or eight in my cohort. And every Wednesday night, you know, we're getting together. We, um, we read a Tim Keller book for about six weeks together, and we were um, kind of exploring Prodigal God was that book that we did. Um, And kind of exploring like that aspect of theology and now we're reading a different one by Dietrich Bonhoeffer just about community and like what that's like. Um, And it's just been a really sweet time, especially um, since gospel communities are co-ed and a lot of them are really large, um, sometimes like I found it hard to really develop really deep relationships when I went to group on Thursday nights. And so this has been like a really sweet time to actually get to develop relationships with the women in my group. And um, we've seen like a lot of fruit from just like women being able to be really vulnerable. Um, we've had like a lot, of, a lot of women just sharing like really deep things on their heart and things that they're struggling with that really wouldn't have come out um, otherwise if they were not in a cohort. Um, so. Basically, my experience has been that it's been a really, really sweet time to not only get to know God in a deeper way, in a more focused way, but also to really um, dive in with the women in my group and develop those relationships. And there's lots of books, I know on the back table, that um, they're kind of like a really, really solid books for cohort. Also like a lot of the ones up in the library upstairs um, are really great, a lot of Tim Keller is always good. But that's been my experience, and if you, I think Kyle's going to talk about maybe getting a couple cohorts started, Um, but if you're not in a cohort, I would strongly encourage you to be in one, either getting the girls in your gospel community together if there's not any there, or if there is a pre-existing one that's kind of already started, jumping into one of these that's about to get started. So I'll hand this back
1: to Kyle. Thanks, Kaylee. All right. Okay, well, as she mentioned, I'm just going to highlight real fast. There are six, I think, books on, in the back that we, three, have or maybe four, have already set times. Um, Becca Edlin is leading a, new, uh, a number of women um, through the book of Hosea. She'll do a line-by-line study of Hosea, so you can sign up for that in the back. Um, then Nancy Guthrie is a talented Bible study teacher um, that... I think you'd benefit from. Denise is going to be leading a study in on the book of um, Hebrews. Sorry, blanked for a second. And that's um, Hoping for Something Better. You can sign up for that. That has a time. Um, Anna Parker and Alyssa Beck will be leading a group of women through the Wisdom um, books. So you can sign up for that as well. Um, and then Nancy Guthrie also has a Genesis study, which I've found Genesis to be really rich. And so we don't have a leader for that yet, but we do have the book. So if anyone is interested, you can sign up. Um, I've got a couple of Jen Wilkins studies. I'm walking through um, her first, second, and third John with a bunch of women right now. And it's really awesome. It's just challenging women to be sharp with their minds on studying the word and not so much relying on commentary, but what does it look like for us as women to be really equipped and willing to know and study the word, um, with our minds and not just relying on other people. So she has, I printed off copies of her, um, first, second, and third John, which I know several, um, gospel community women are doing. And then, um, there's also her Exodus part one is there. And then finally, um, Erin Payne and, um, Corey Cook are leading a study with Jenny Allen's anything book. And that'll be, um, uh, in the back as well we 're not sell- we don't have copies here, but you can sign up and they can get you the details. so um, sign up for those we really want to challenge you all as women at park. we want to be women who know the word and study it together so um, finally, my last announcement is that i 'd love for you to do the surveys, and second announcement would be. Um, Next Women's Formation Night, we're going to do something a little different, and it's going to kind of play off of this evening. I'm um, organizing, essentially, we've got about 15 to 16 women throughout the city who have volunteered to host a dinner in their home. And so the vision for that evening is that you'll go in and sign up online and we'll essentially put you into groups of maybe six to eight depending on kind of how the numbers fall in neighborhoods. But of women maybe you don't know or maybe you are kind of know a little bit, but um, hopefully in different life stages and um, hopefully diversity. And we want you to connect and start to form some of these discipleship relationships. And we think that can start through relationship as we've talked about tonight. So um, We'd love to have you be a part of that. Um, the sign-ups, I'll send more e- details on that, but um, please make sure to sign up. I know not everyone is great at RSVPing, but that will be something you will need to RSVP for. So thanks for coming. We want you to take this out and practice it further, so continue to discuss and um, have a good night. What'd you say? Oh, yes, the date is November 14th. It's a
4: Monday. Thank you. Appreciate that.